You are listening to Muslim in Moderation, discussions on minority culture, identity and politics with Ali Ahmed. Welcome to the first episode of 2020. Happy New Year to all. I wish you and your families all the best in the coming year. Since we're starting a new decade, I want to take a futurist view on religion. I've generally tried to focus more on cultural themes, but there's a link in terms of how culture influences religion that needs to be explored if we're going to take a look at how things might look in the future. But in order to go forward, sometimes you need to take a look back at the past. Episode 8 of the podcast features a past guest, Dr. Azim Sharif, Professor of Psychology at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Sharif does a lot of interesting research on religion and morality, including research on the type of moral choices that self-driving cars should make. I talked to Dr. Sharif earlier in 2019 after I heard an interview where he was talking about evolutionary psychology and religion. Dr. Shreef was discussing the idea that early societies that believed in a god that punished bad deeds, you know, stuff like cheating and stealing, tended to cooperate better and prosper. So from an evolutionary psychology perspective, the idea is that once people started to live in bigger communities where you didn't know everyone personally, religion helped people trust each other. And trust is essential to deal-making. A relative of mine has a house in the Turkish countryside, and he still makes deals this way. Do you believe in God? Okay. Let's shake hands. Here's the money. I'll see you on Saturday. Of course, now people make deals in a completely different way. They use contracts, and they have laws enforced by the courts, and rules enforced by the police. So you can make a deal with almost anyone, even internationally, and have some confidence that it will be enforced. Dr. Sharif noted that where God is no longer relied on to punish wrongdoing, religion has taken on a different role. Here's how he describes it. The hypothesis is this, is that as you have other institutions which are able to get people to morally follow in line, the burden falls off the shoulder of religion. So religion was a particularly effective way of doing this, of compelling people to follow the rules. But it's not necessarily the most effective way now. And so as societies have found other ways of doing it, religions have been able to shift their tenor away from the sort of malevolent punishing side into more of the benevolent forgiving side. And there's reasons one could think about that why that would be advantageous for the religions. So when you have a competitive market of religions, where there's a bunch of different sects of a religion or a bunch of different religions themselves that are competing, they have to find a way of attracting believers from other religions or from a group of non-religious people, though it's typically from other religions. And one way to do that is to say, well, my religion has more to offer you psychologically as an individual. It's a harder sell to go up to somebody and say, you should join my religion because my God is angry and you're more likely to go to hell. It's a much better marketing trick to say, well, I have a gentler, kinder religion that you, that you might switch to or that your religion might evolve towards than to actually lead with the malevolent stuff. And so the less that religion actually has to carry those burdens of enforcing cooperation themselves, the more they can appeal to that sort of psychologically sunnier side. I think it's hard to conceptualize religion evolving and easier to understand culture evolving and seeing how that impacts religious practice. Not so long ago, I was sitting with some friends and one of the women whose family is based in Pakistan came to me and said, you know, I want you to do an episode on inheritance law because I don't feel it's right that my rights to inherit are lower than, say, any number of male heirs. 
I think her perception of what's fair is a reflection of a change of culture and values. Now, the issue of Islamic inheritance law has not come up quite so much in the West. Actually, I wonder how Muslim families in the West are addressing inheritance. I could be wrong here, but my guess is that many families divide their estates between their children equally, or what's more likely is that they don't make a will at all, and they leave it up to the courts who are going to do the exact same thing. So this is just one example, but it's not hard to think about other examples where culture takes precedent over religion. I asked Dr. Sharif about this point, and here's what he had to say. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the ways that religions do evolve over time, is that certain moral norms, which become, for lack of a better word, outdated or in conflict with other cultural norms, they can be deprioritized. And we see this in all sorts of morals that have sort of fallen by the wayside. You read the sort of moral edicts that are placed in in the Old Testament. Many of those are not followed anymore. They're deprioritized in the way people talk about those religions. They're not the ones that they talk about when they say, well, this is what's important to follow. And they tend to, I think, probably fall away from how religious leaders teach the religion because they are socially outdated. And so I think there's nothing that's hard and fast about any rule in these things. And one of the ways they get chipped away is because they come into conflict with other cultural systems or cultural priorities. The interaction between religion and culture is really a difficult one to figure out. I gave the example of inheritance law earlier, and while I talked about some changing views in terms of fairness and equality across genders, at the same time I know lawyers who are working on creating a standard template Islamic will for use in Canada and across North America. And it'll be interesting to see what the adoption is like. Perhaps an easier way to see how culture influences religion is to look at different countries. Around the time I was talking to Dr. Sharif, Brunei was in the news for a Sharia penal code which called for stoning, whipping, and amputations for various crimes. I put it to Dr. Sharif that Western Muslims probably wouldn't support these punishments even if the crimes were committed against them. That's exactly right. And you'll see sort of schisms in different communities of the same religion, if you could even call it the same religion anymore because of those community differences where in, say, Canada, you'll find a very different set of punishments and a very different set of what's considered wrong, which actually deviates considerably with the historical record of something like Islam. Whereas in Brunei, they seem to be sticking to a more historically accurate but societally or globally retrograde set of punishments and set of norms. And so you see schisms happen in in the religion. And what you'd expect over time is that one way will triumph, or you'll have religions split, which has happened many times over history as well. And then those different sects of the religion end up competing themselves. And so it's a process, it's a very Darwinian process of evolution that that which is more fit to the time is the thing that survives better. Careful research into the historical record. Now, there is a reason why I wanted to do this episode on cultural evolution and religion. There are a few trends that I've been watching over the past few years. Secular extremism and anti-religionism is the one that I worry about the most, in part because I think it's closely related to Islamophobia, like I discussed with Dr. Sharif in episode 3. But there's also a, let's call it a rational argument to be made for religion that I don't hear very often. One part of it is from the legal side. From the perspective of individual freedom, people should have the right to religious belief and conscience. There's a scientific argument about people having evolved to have religious belief. 
And there's another argument about religion and the embedded value that it holds. That's the case maybe being best made by Dr. Jordan Peterson in 12 Rules for Life and the Lecture Series. That religion contains embedded wisdom collected over thousands of years that people haven't fully articulated. And maybe most people can't absorb these lessons in a purely rational way. So it doesn't make sense to push religion completely out of the picture. In view of the way societies are changing, it's really clear that in order to survive these challenges, religious communities need to adapt to the times. But it's also the case that religion has been around for thousands of years, and some religions have managed to survive a really long time. And I asked Dr. Sharif about whether the religions that have managed to survive a long time had a kind of adaptive quality. And here's what he said. Absolutely. And I think it's a very interesting research area, trying to sort of reverse engineer religions to try to understand what about them made them successful. Because what you tend to see is that that which is successful persists. And so what we now have in modern religions is the legacy of thousands of years of trial and error, right? So the example that I like to give is that there was an offshoot of Christianity, I guess there still is, called the Shakers. And one of their rules was that you can't have sex. Nobody can have sex. They only managed to maintain their numbers through inviting other people to join because, of course, there was no reproduction. There were no children being naturally produced. They were just being brought in from outside. A, that's not a feature that's likely to expand your religion because the religions that have been most successful are the ones that have had many children out-competing other religions or other cultural systems which haven't had as many children. It's something we call demographic swamping. And also, it's a tough marketing trick to say, join my religion, you'll never get to have sex again, you'll never have children. So those types of features, though they might emerge from time to time, are not the ones that are going to be successful. Instead, what you see is there are certain things which are much more likely to be successful. And the two most successful, and we're just talking in terms of numbers of people, numbers of adherents here, but the two most successful religions have been Islam and Christianity. And there, what you see is that they've both been heavily proselytizing religions. They've made it a key feature trying to go out and convert people. And you can see why that, compared to a religion which didn't compel you to do that, or took a more exclusivist position to potential members of your religion, would succeed a lot better, would spread a lot better. One of my mentors, Joe Henrik, is recently published a paper looking at another reason why Christianity itself may have been so, or at least a particular strain of Christianity, which is now the most successful strain, Catholicism, was so successful is because it took an interesting approach to cousin marriage. It banned cousin marriage. It said it was a moral wrong and you can't do it anymore. And what that led to was a weakening of tight family units, which all just were sort of focused on themselves. There was a lot of nepotism going on. It weakened those family bands, which allowed wider societal bands to cohere. And that ended up being very successful from an economic standpoint. And partially is what enabled countries which adhered to Catholicism to become more economically successful than their peers, which didn't have that ban on cousin marriage. So it's often these things, and it requires careful research to figure this out, but it's often these things that we wouldn't... Some some things are obvious, like the proselytizing things. Some things will be less obvious and only evident with careful research into the historical record. So just on a side note, I found that comment about cousin marriages really interesting. I've spent some time in Pakistan and cousin marriages are not uncommon there. 
Lately, a lot of the focus of the government has been on tackling corruption and nepotism. Of course, I couldn't help wonder about the connection between close family ties and corruption or favor giving or nepotism. Okay, let's put that to one side and finally move on to the future. I talked earlier about some of the pressures that modern religions are facing, and I put the question to Dr. Sharif on how religions might evolve and change in the face of that pressure. So here's his final word on this topic. So I think they definitely will change because they always have. They are living cultural systems and they are responsive to social changes. We are going to encounter a lot of social changes uh, pretty rapidly in the coming decades. And so they will change. They already are changing. What's harder is to predict how they will change. One thing that I've thought for a while, though I'm, I may be questioning this belief now, based on new trends in the world and new data, is that it will be harder to maintain some of the more scientifically incompatible religious beliefs. As science grows, a lot of things that religious people believe become less factually defensible. Uh, it becomes more obvious that they're wrong. And in the face of that, you might see a similar deprioritizing that we talked about earlier, right? The strictly adhering to a certain set of fact beliefs might become a less important part of the religion. And they might shift in ways that are more centered around the community or cultural practices or other aspects. That's something which which may happen. But the problem is, this is why it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future, is that you could see a backlash to that. So you could see that as a secular, scientifically literate body of the population grows, religious people, certain religious communities might respond by identifying themselves as different from that. And so they might double down on some of the unscientific fact beliefs that they have. What you're likely to see is different religions and different communities doing one of the two of these things, and then seeing a competition between those groups. The competition is likely to be that there's going to be the scientifically literate one that has more economic power, but you might see higher demographic rates uh, sorry, higher fertility rates among the ones that are subscribing less to, to say, the, the secular spread of scientific fact reality. And, and so then you have these, these kind of competing cultural forces in opposite directions. Right now, what you're seeing is that though there is a rise of non-religious believers in very wealthy parts of the world, globally, the proportion of non-believers is staying steady and is projected to fall a little bit simply because they have fewer children. So there's many complex factors that are involved in this. But one thing that I think we can rely on is that religions are constantly evolving, they're constantly changing, and they will continue to do that into the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening to Muslim in Moderation. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating. A new episode will be out monthly. For guest profiles, episodes, and show notes, visit www.musliminmoderation.com.